Well, friends, do you know someone who is always full of excuses? It seems in today's world there are millions of people who seem to be experts at making excuses for their bad attitudes or their bad behavior. I think all of us know at least one person who constantly serves up a bunch of lame excuses about why they didn't show up or why they can't pay us back the money that they borrowed from us or even why they are late for work. Christians, just this week I came across an article that appeared on Business Insider and the topic of this piece was the worst excuses that employees have used to call off of work. So let me share with you now, family, the nine most ridiculous excuses that real people use to call off of work in 2017. This employee said that he left his clothes in a laundromat. This employee said that a bear was in his yard and he was afraid to come outside. This employee said that he accidentally ate a toothpick that was in his food at the restaurant. This employee said his uniform didn't fit. This employee said his phone exploded and injured his hand. This employee said her dog swallowed her car keys and she was waiting for them to come out. This employee said that she had to reschedule an emergency manicure because one of her artificial nails came off. This employee said he didn't have enough gas in his tank to get to work. This employee said he broke his arm wrestling a female bodybuilder. Excuses, 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 right? We've all heard them. And I think, family, we'd all be honest to admit at one point or another, all of us have it offered up from time to time. Some really lame excuses to other people. We're trying to get ourselves off the hook from some responsibility or some task that had been entrusted to us. Well, believers, this morning we're going to open our Bibles once again to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. And today you and I are going to listen very closely as Moses tries to offer up to the Lord five different excuses Five different excuses about why he could not go back to Egypt and lead the Hebrews out of slavery and to the promised land. So friends, let's take our Bibles now and we're going to embark on this message today that I've entitled, Can't We Talk About This, Lord? Now family, last Sunday morning we learned that after some 40 years, 40 years of obscurity and shepherding in the deserts of Midian, the Lord came to Moses. He revealed himself to Moses there in this face-to-face -face encounter at the burning bush. Well, at this incredible meeting, the Lord calls Moses to this very special assignment of returning back to Egypt and leading the enslaved Hebrew people to freedom. Moses was the one who God said, you're going to be the one, Moses, to lead my people to the promised land. But family, today we're going to discover that instead of being excited about this opportunity, Moses protested. He protested and he actually offered up five different excuses about why he couldn't accept this assignment. Well, family, as we dig into these verses today, what were those five excuses and how are they very similar 
to the ones that you and I often speak today. When we listen to the Lord's replies, how do you and I need to start adjusting our thinking? Well, Christians, let's talk today. Let's look now at these five excuses that don't work on God. Five excuses that don't work on God. Here's the first one. Number one, I'm just a nobody. Number one, I'm just a nobody. Now let's go to God's Word in Exodus 3, and let's look at verses 11 and 12. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Oh, family, I want you to stop and think with me here for just a second. What must it have been like for Moses to see the supernatural fire of God burning there in that burning bush? What was it like to hear the very voice of the Lord talking to you? I mean, when this happened, Moses must have instantly felt in his physical body, he must have felt a surge of, of fear and terror mixed with adrenaline. You know, doctors will often describe uh, the human reflex. It's called the fight-or-flight reflex that all human beings experience. When we encounter something dangerous, what happens is our heartbeat instantly soars, our blood, our blood pressure surges, and all of our senses start to peak, our eyes and our ears, and, and even our skin starts to tingle. And that's exactly, I think, what Moses was feeling in this moment of coming face to face with the awesome God of the universe. Well, thankfully, though, as the Lord kept talking, I think Moses breathed, and I think Moses realized that he wasn't in any immediate danger of, of dying. However, I think that sense of relief quickly dissipated at the end of the Lord's monologue, where the Lord started talking about his intention of freeing the Hebrew people who were enslaved down in Egypt. And at the end of that monologue, the Lord says that he has chosen Moses to do this very special task. Well, what was Moses' response there in verse 11? Look at it again. I think it's the very same response that many of us would have probably uttered in that same situation. Lord, you want me? Me. I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm no one. I'm a nobody. I'm completely inadequate for something like this. 40, 40 years ago, maybe, Lord, Forty years ago, sure, I would have been up for something this daring, something this important. You know, forty years ago, Moses, you remember, was still back in Egypt. He was younger then, much younger. He was bold, remember? He was brash. He was so self-confident when he was there in Egypt. Remember how Moses tried to stand up for that Hebrew who was being beaten by one of the slave drivers. And, and Moses even tried to intervene the next day amongst two Hebrews who were arguing and fighting. And, and Moses tried to exert some of his leadership influence among his fellow Hebrews. But what happened? Both of those opportunities failed miserably. And now it's 40 years later, and here's Moses in the deserts of Midian shepherding sheep. And he's a failure. 
He's a disappointment. He's a letdown. For heaven's sakes, that's how he ended up in Midian to begin with. I like how one Bible scholar explained it this way. So many years earlier, an Israelite had asked Moses, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Remember that back in chapter 2, verse 14? Well, now Moses seems to be asking that same question of God. Who am I? Who am I that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Well, family, what Moses surely didn't know is that God had used these 40 years in the desert in a purposeful way. Moses was there in the Midian wilderness in all those years, and during that time, Moses had learned humility. And the Lord had used this time to prepare Moses. He prepared his mind and his heart for this very mission. But notice, family, rather than argue with Moses, rather than scold Moses, look at how the Lord so graciously answers Moses' first objection. Look at verse 12. The Lord says, I will certainly be with you. And this is the sign that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God right here on this very mountain. Wow, what an incredible response that God gives Moses. Did you notice, Christians, did you notice that God did not say Moses was wrong? Moses was not necessarily wrong. Moses was an 80-year-old guy. He was an 80-year-old shepherd living in the obscurity of Midian. But guess what? That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is that the Lord was going to be with Moses in this task. The very same way that the Lord had been with Abraham, the way the Lord had been with Isaac, the way the Lord was with Jacob. Now the Lord says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. But family, even if that promise of divine accompaniment and help, even if that was, was, was not enough, did you notice God even gave a second promise? A second promise is given right up front to kind of boost Moses' confidence a little bit. It's this promise that when the job was done, Moses and all those millions of Hebrews that he's going to lead out of Egypt, they're going to come back here to this very spot. You're going to bring back all those people in their freedom. And right here, the Lord says, you will be back here again. And you will worship me and all of those freed Hebrews right here. Well, oh, wow, okay. Okay, in that case, Lord, in that case, then, then I'm all in, right? I'm all in on this mission. Sounds great, right? No, that's not at all what Moses said. Instead, he gave a second excuse. A second excuse to the Lord why he couldn't be used. Here's the second one. Number two, I won't know what to say. Excuse number two, I won't know what to say. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Now, Christians, there's an interesting phenomenon that often happens in the sports and entertainment world. You often have this athlete 
or you have this up-and-coming actor, and, and because of their hard work, uh, because they put in the time and maybe even uh, fortunate circumstances start to come their way and you have an athlete or an actor, and what happens? They, they rise to the top of their field. They become an all-star sports uh, athlete. They become some uh, wonderful A-list Hollywood actor. And they, they begin to make money and their name becomes known uh, in households and they, be they begin to become famous. Well, what happens a lot of times is, is a biological parent a biological parent who had given up that child many, many years previous. They've given them up for adoption. Now, all of a sudden, 20 years later, now once this person is famous, now they want to show back up. And they want to come back into the life, and they want to reestablish a relationship. And here's this athlete or this actor or this actress, and what happens? They, they, they get angry about this. They are very put off by this, that here's this mother or this father who years ago basically abandoned them, gave them up for adoption, wanted nothing to do with them, and now all of a sudden that mother or father wants to come right back in and, and restart a relationship. Now, if you can make sense of that, Christian friend, if you can sense a little bit of the awkwardness of that dynamic, well, you can certainly then begin to understand what Moses is dealing with here. This fear, this fear that's in Moses' heart that the Israelite elders would not be very receptive to him coming to them and saying that he was God's new leader. Family, think about this with me. When we look back at the history, when we count up the years, it had been 400 years since God had revealed himself in any meaningful way to the children of Israel. 400 plus years. The Hebrew people had not heard from God in any meaningful way. 400 plus years, generation after generation after generation, has been enslaved. And now Moses one day is going to walk in there and say, Hey guys, God chose me to be the leader, and I'm going to come and lead you to freedom. And so Moses says, Lord, what am I supposed to tell them? That They're going to want to know something. They're going to know something about who you are, about your nature, your, your character, your essence, who you are, your, your connection to them. Well, look at verses Exodus, look at Exodus 3:14. This is undoubtedly one of the most famous verses in all the Bible where God says, "I am who I am." He tells Moses, "You tell them the I am has sent me to you." Now, family, I don't want to lose you here in the weeds. I don't want to descend you down into Hebrew uh, vocabulary, but this phrase, I am, this phrase, I am, is actually connected to God's covenant name, which is Yahweh. That translates from Hebrew over into English as the word Jehovah. But what this name points to, this idea, this phrase of God saying, I'm the I am, what that's pointing to is God's infinite majesty. The fact that He is the self-existent God. He is the God who always has been and the God who always will be. It's this God who is eternal in His essence. Look in your notes. I gave you a wonderful quote there from Warren Wearsby. Wearsby says, When God calls Himself the I Am, He's revealing Himself to be the self-existent One who always was, always is, always will be. In other words, the faithful and dependable God. So, who is this God? Who is this God that sent Moses? He's the same God 
who appeared to Father Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's, he's the God of all the forefathers of the Israelite people. He's the true God. And not only is he the true God, he's also their God. He's the God who makes promises, and he keeps those promises. So God tells Moses, that's what you tell them. That's what you tell them. You tell them who I am that I'm, I'm not just the God, I'm their God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're my guy, Moses. That's what you tell them. Well, family, in addition to telling Moses that, in the verses that follow, we won't have time to read them, but God even gives Moses, following these statements about him being the I Am, God actually gives Moses two speeches, two prepared statements that Moses should deliver. One prepared statement is going to go to Israel's elders. Here's what you tell them. And then here's a second prepared statement. Here's what you're going to say to Pharaoh. So just think here about how gracious God is. Think about how gracious God's been up to this point. Of course, and Moses, man, he's really dealing with these nagging questions, nagging concerns. But look at God's grace. God has adequately answered them. And yet, Moses still isn't convinced. And he has a third excuse. So here's the third one, number three. Excuse number three, these people won't listen to me. Number three, these people won't listen to me. Look at Exodus chapter 4 now, the first nine verses. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses said, a rod. And God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And God said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, they will may, may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these first two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Now, Christian friends, there's an, there's an objection here, an objection here in the early verses of Exodus 4. It's an objection that every first-time leader can relate to. Maybe some of you here this morning can relate to this. Maybe your boss came to you. Maybe the boss came and, and asked you to be the new leader of this new division, this new department that the company was going to launch. For some of you students here, maybe the teacher came to you and said, I can see that you've got some abilities. I want you to be a, a group leader inside the classroom, or I want you to be a tutor who's going to help other students. 
Maybe at your employment, maybe they're inside the factory. Maybe uh, there was a, a, a great worker, someone who's getting up in age, but now they're getting ready to retire. And you've been a good worker, you've had some good experience, and so they, they came to you, the supervisor came to you and said, hey, we really would like you to step into this, this new role. Even, even first-time NFL coaches know this feeling. NFL coaches walking into that NFL locker room for the first time, this locker room filled with professional athletes, who the, all of these guys who are millionaires, and those NFL coaches all say the same thing. Are these guys even going to listen to me? Are they even going to listen? What if they don't take my leadership seriously? Anyone who's ever been a leader for five minutes has felt this feeling. And in Moses' mind, this, this cast a very dark cloud on his ability to do what God wanted him to do. But notice, family, in the face of Moses' resistance, what does the Lord do? He graciously helps Moses. He helps him. He gives him not one, not two, but three. Three miracles. Three specific miracles that are designed to capture the people's attention and prove it to them that Moses really is God's special servant. Friend, family, I just can't imagine what this must have been like the first time. I mean, we read these verses so easily, and some of you are Christians, you've been Christians for 20 years, and you've read this many times, but you've got to put yourself here and think, what was this like the day it happened? What was this really like? What did this look like? What was the shock on Moses' face when his shepherd's staff turned back and forth into a slithering snake? What, what was that like? What was the shock value there, the surprise of it all, the fear and the wonder, being awestruck by this? And then the Lord says, put your hand inside your, inside your shirt, and you pull it back out, and, and now your whole hand is covered with leprosy, and you put it back in again, and, and now it's healed the second time. I mean, some of these miracles, I mean, wow, I, I would have been, been convinced right there. I said, okay, that, that's, that's awesome. I can't argue with the, the staff snake thing. I can't argue with the leprosy. Okay, all right, Lord, I, I guess I am on board. But notice, even after the third miracle is presented, the miracle of get some water from the Nile River, and when you pour it on the dry ground, it turns to blood. Even after that third miracle, look at what Moses says. He's still stubborn. He's still resistant. He's still holding on to his excuses. I would ask you, does this sound like anyone you know? Let's look at the fourth excuse now. Number four, Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. Number four, number four, I'm not a good speaker. Look at chapter four, verses 10 to 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. 
Now, Christian friends, I've been sharing with you over the last three messages in this Moses series that the early chapters of Exodus are not the only place in inspired Scripture that gives us an accounting of Moses' biography. There's another place in the Bible that starts to unpack some of Moses' story, and it's in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts chapter 7. There's one particular verse in Acts 7 that really stands out. One very particular verse, it's Acts 7.22. I gave it to you in your notes. Acts 7.22 says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Hmm. Now that's interesting. The book of Acts says Moses was mighty in his words and deeds. That's the phrase that comes right after the phrase that talks about Moses' upbringing, his royal education in Egypt. What does this mean? Well, apparently, apparently early on in his life, Moses, as a younger man, was a great speaker. He was great with words. Apparently, when he was a younger man, Moses was a tremendous speaker. He was riveting. He was powerful, mighty even. But now... After 40 years of talking to sheep, Moses feels like a different guy. Moses makes this complaint here. Moses offers up this excuse. And the excuse is not that he can't talk. The excuse is not that he can't talk, but that he can't talk eloquently. That he can't talk eloquently. I like how Chuck Swindoll puts it in his book on Moses. Chuck Swindoll says it like this. Moses says, I've been keeping company with sheep for all these years. All I'm good at now is bah, bah, bah. That's it. But you're pushing me to stand up in front of all those educated officials in Pharaoh's court and be eloquent? I just can't manage that. Can't do it. Sorry. You understand, don't you, Lord? Well, how does the Lord respond to Moses when Moses claims that he's not eloquent enough, that he's not polished enough to undertake this special kind of speaking? Well, family, it's real obvious. The Lord claps back at Moses. He claps back at Moses, and he gives Moses three rhetorical questions designed to extinguish Moses' nagging inadequacies. The Lord claps back at Moses and says, Moses, who made man's mouth anyway? Who's in charge of it? Who's in charge of things like muteness and deafness and blindness? Isn't it me? Isn't it me, the Lord God? Christian friends, I want you to think about this with me. If God, if God has the supernatural power to keep a bush burning indefinitely... If God has the supernatural power to do that, if He has the power to turn a walking stick into a snake, if He has the power to turn a man's hand back and forth from leprosy to health, if the Lord has the sovereign power to take water from a river and turn it into blood on dry ground, believe me, the Lord has the power to help a person's mouth speak what they are supposed to speak. And so finally, in verse 12, the Lord says, Moses, 
You got it? You got it? Now go. Go. Stop nitpicking over your public speaking abilities. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be with your mouth. And I will teach you. I will teach you what you are supposed to say when you are supposed to say it. Now, family, you would think, you would think that with everything that the Lord had revealed to this point, everything that had transpired, you would think that by now Moses would be tender. You would think Moses would be more open. You would expect that Moses would be more accepting of this assignment that the Lord was giving to him. But what happens? Number five, a fifth excuse. Number five, someone else could do this better. Number five, someone else could do this better. Look at verse 13. But Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words into his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Now, family, I want to tell you a story. Late October, late October, of course, is wood splitting time. It's wood stacking time. You know, winter is coming. And around this same time each year, my mind goes back uh, many years ago to those seven years that my family and I lived in Beach Mountain. Uh, and we had a beautiful wood stove there in our living room. And so each year we were having to prep firewood, get firewood ready, split firewood ready, and uh, have it ready to burn for winter. Well, one of my favorite memories of that time was when I took my oldest son, Walker, outside and I started to teach him how to split firewood. And he was still very young, 12, maybe 13 at the most, and I had this massive sledgehammer, and I had one of those special triangular steel mauls. It's this triangular thing that you take and you, you hit it with the sledgehammer, and that's what splits the, the wood open. So I've got this massive sledgehammer. I mean, this thing's pretty heavy. And i got a big triangular maul, and we're going to go out there, and I'm going to teach this young man how to start splitting some wood to help our family. Well, I get everything all set up. And I, I split a couple of logs first. I just let him watch so that he can start to see what's going on. And I, as I'm splitting each piece, I'm giving him some tips. Here's how you do this. Here's how you get it started. I said, okay, son, now it's, now it's your turn. All right, you come on in here. So he, he's maybe 12 years old. He, he comes in there. He grabs his biggest sledgehammer. You know, he's not as strong as me as a grown man. So he's trying to just get this hammer ab above his head. And he's, he starts the maul. And then he pulls the hammer back. And he gets ready to take that first epic swing, man. I mean, I mean, he is ready to let this log have it. And he pulls the hammer up. And he just at the top of the swing, he stops and he lowers the hammer. And he said, looks at me and he deadpans and he says, are you sure about this? I could feel what he was feeling there, and it was so funny. 
he was basically asking me, are you really sure you want a kid doing this? Do you really want me to be the one swinging this giant hammer? In that moment, family, it was so funny. It was very humorous. But let me tell you, here in the text, it was certainly no laughing matter when Moses offers up a fifth excuse to the Lord. Moses says something similar here in verse 13, but it's not funny at all. Just think of how much the Lord had shared to Moses at this point. Just think of how much the Lord has already revealed. Think of the magnificence of God's own name. Think of the message that Moses was going to deliver. Even the miracles that God had said. These are the miracles that you're going to be able to do. You're my guy, Moses. And verse 13, family, is the final straw. It's the point where reluctance and resistance starts to turn into defiance and disobedience. You know, when you read it in the New King James translation, Moses' statement sounds so gracious. It sounds very magnanimous. But the NIV translation says it a little bit more straightforwardly, a little more directly. The NIV has it like this, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. In other words, Lord, anybody but me. Send anybody but me. It's no wonder the Lord's anger is kindled. It's no wonder the Lord becomes angry because now Moses just doesn't want to obey. Now it's an obedience issue. And that is why the Lord becomes angry. But family, just like the Lord did with another reluctant servant, servant of his, another reluctant servant named Jonah, God was not about to let Moses get off the hook. Instead, what does the Lord do? He shows grace again. And he says, here comes your brother Aaron. He speaks well. I'm going to use him to be your helper. He's going to be your assistant. He's going to be your aide. He's going to come alongside and help you. But listen, friends, I want you to know something. This even is not an ideal situation. God was not coming in looking to use two brothers. God's major plan was not Moses and Aaron. God's plan was Moses. You're my guy. But Moses keeps raising excuse after excuse. And so finally, the Lord does make a concession. He makes a concession because of Moses' slowness to obey. And the Lord says, fine, I'll even bring Aaron, your trusted brother. I'm going to bring him in. And he'll be a part of this deal. Now listen, there are going to be some positive benefits with Aaron being brought on board. But family, the truth is, is that Aaron, while he is helpful in some places, there are other places where he becomes a major frustration to Moses. And at one famous point, you will remember, Aaron even becomes a stumbling block and a stepping stone to disobedience for the entire children of Israel. Family, the bottom line is this. We see Moses struggling with inadequacy. But God is willing to show grace. God is there to fill in all of Moses' perceived cracks. God's going to fill in all the cracks with His presence and with His power. Well, family, now that we've stepped through all these 
five excuses from the mouth of Moses and the way that the Lord responds to each one. What can we take away from this conversation? What can we take away for our Christian lives in the here and now? What is it in our thinking that needs to change, Christian friend? Just like Moses had to have his thinking changed. Well, listen, just before we answer that question, can we acknowledge right up front? Can we be honest enough to at least admit that you and I often raise these very same objections to the Lord. When He comes to us with some task, some assignment, some job, some ministry opportunity. Listen, this is why so many of you were nodding your heads this morning. This is why these five excuses sound so familiar to us. Because we use them too. Just like Moses, you and I are often reluctant. We're resistant when the Lord comes calling. And we too, we offer up these sorry excuses. I'm just a nobody, Lord. I won't know what to say. These people, oh, they won't listen to me. I'm not a good speaker. Oh, someone else, someone else could do this better than me. But you know what, Christian friend, just like the Lord did with Moses, just like the Lord pushed back and did not accept those weak excuses the Lord does the same thing today. He's doing the same thing in our lives. The Lord will not settle for those weak, lame excuses that rise up out of our own hearts, out of our insecurities, out of our fears. He doesn't, hold, he doesn't give in even when we are stubborn. Instead, the Bible says that God graciously moves. And He's so gracious to us in those times. And He points us. He points us to His person. He points us to His truth, His power, His equipping, and His choice of us. Family, isn't it fascinating? From the very first objection that Moses raised, from the very first excuse that Moses raised, the Lord said these words, Moses, I will be with you. That should have settled it right there. That should have settled it. If you think about it, that was, that was good enough to answer any and all of Moses' questions. Look in your notes. I gave you this quote from Chuck Swindoll. In God's calling, he has a plan, but he never expects you to carry out that plan. He's going to pull it off. He simply wants you to be the instrument of action. After all, it's his reputation that's at stake, not yours. All he asks is that you give yourself to him as a tool that he can pick up and use. That's all. A Christian friend, maybe you need to stop right now and ask yourself, have I, have I been offering up to the Lord a whole truckload of sorry excuses? What task or what job or what assignment, or what ministry opportunity has the Lord been bringing to your heart and mind again and again and again? What does the Lord keep holding out in front of you that, that you can sense He wants you to do, yet you seem to be so resistant and offering up so many excuses about why you can't do it? Is it writing that very large financial check to the church? that you just can't seem to bring yourself to write? Is it stepping up to serve in some way inside the local church, serving in the nursery, serving in Sunday school, serving in our Christian character club, 
joining up and, and being a leader in a small group, maybe being involved in our youth ministry or in our sound and video ministry. Maybe there's even some other ministry that the Lord's been putting on your heart that we're not even doing yet. We're not even doing it yet, but you have this desire that maybe you should be the one to start leading and running that thing. Maybe the Lord's tugging your heart about something else. Maybe it's about something at your workplace. Maybe it's about starting a Bible study during your lunch break. Maybe a Bible study time or a time of prayer. Maybe it's a person in your school, young people. Maybe it's a kid in your school who always sits alone and everyone just ostracizes that kid. No one ever talks to that girl. No one ever talks to that guy. And the Lord's been putting on your heart, you need to go over there. You need to go make a friend. You, know, you need to go over there and develop a relationship and be a friend to that person. Maybe the Lord's putting on your heart to get involved in our pregnancy center. There's a, there's a great pregnancy center right here in this community, and there are women, young girls, constantly choosing abortion. And you could be the voice of reason to help that young woman choose life. Maybe it's just somebody across the street from you. Maybe it's just the neighbor. Maybe it's just loving that neighbor, going over, saying hi, checking on them, take them a cake, go over and have a coffee, and just show the love of Jesus to that person. Friend, I'm asking you a hard question today. Why do you keep dragging your feet in disobedience? Why do you keep offering up the excuses you keep saying it. Oh, you want me, Lord? You want me, Lord? Oh, what about that guy in the pew over there? Oh, he's got a college degree. Or what about her? You know, she's a manager at a company. Or, or what about that person who sits behind me? Uh, you know, I know he's a really good speaker. Or, or what about that person? She has such an outgoing personality. Lord, don't you want that person over there? They've been a part of the church for 20 years. Lord, you want me? Me? Lord, I got, I got kids at home. I'm, I'm tight on money. I got weight problems. I'm over 50 now. I got issues with anxiety. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't really have really nice clothes to wear. I don't really like talking in front of people. Oh, friends, can't you see it? You are such an expert at making excuses. And yet, with each one, you march out in front of God, He stands firm. He stands firm in His choice of you. And He says, you're the one I want. And He says what you need to hear, that He is going to give you His help. He's going to give you His grace. He says to you these great words, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says, my word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. So listen, believer, listen. Even though you think you'll never be good enough, you think you'll never be smart enough. You think you'll never be strong enough. You think you'll never be experienced enough. Know this truth. God is enough. God is enough. If He says He will be there, then He will do it. He's going to be there with you. He's going to be there with His strength. He's going to be there with His equipping. He's going to be there with His accomplishment in you and through you. He's going to do what He wants to do. He's going to see accomplished what He wants accomplished. So Christian friend, listen to me. If God has chosen you to do something for Him, then get on board with Him. 
Get on board with him. Be obedient and get ready because a great adventure is coming. A great adventure is coming because God is going to use you. And God's not going to waste you. He's not going to waste your abilities. He's not going to waste your time. Good things are going to happen. You're going to make a difference for him. Even in the smallest of ways, you're going to make a difference, an eternal difference for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of Christ. Family, as we close now, I hope this message today, I hope it will be such a stimulant for you. That's my desire today is to come alongside and nudge you. And some of you could use a good nudge. And here it is from the Word of God. I hope this message today, I hope it challenges you. I hope it even convicts you to obey, to embrace the things that God's calling you to. Those of you here today who aren't Christians, well, I hope today's the day you'll surrender your excuses to. If you are not a Christian, I hope today is the day your excuses die, that you will finally submit your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day for you, friend. Today's the day for you to confess your sins, to acknowledge your brokenness, acknowledge that you can't get right with God on your own, that you do need Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life because of what He did there on the cross for you. Oh, friend, if you're not a Christian, I pray today is the day your excuses die. I hope today's the day you believe on Jesus Christ for salvation, that today will be the day that all of your sins are put under the banner of Jesus and His salvation. Well, Christian friends, as you watch Moses offer up these five excuses and you see how the Lord just sweeps them away with promises of His presence and His power, well, Christian, I pray that all those excuses you've been carrying around, I pray they will be done away with so that you can start getting busy, busy accomplishing some of the great tasks that God has in mind for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, reminds us these words, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Listen to me, believer. If your life is going to be the great masterpiece that God desires, then stop fighting Him for the paintbrushes. Stop with the resistance. Stop the rebellion. And let God be the leader of your life. Stop saying, can't we talk about this, Lord? And start saying, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.